There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. This program is all about helping people more meaningful and productively connect with their work and equipping leaders to cultivate meaning and purpose in the work of their employees. I bring on guests who have a particular perspective or experience that I think expands this conversation. And as a management consultant and social scientist myself, I draw on the meaning or research I've been doing over the last 15 years, as well as from my own experience consulting, speaking, and developing workforces across the globe. I'll get to the program in just a moment, but, but let me thank my, my sponsor, Recover Mattress. As an athlete and very active professional myself, I know the importance of good sleep. In fact, I was up this morning at five running six miles, so looking forward to this. Recover Mattress is a hybrid mattress designed specifically to improve sleep for muscle recovery for active lifestyles. You can learn more about the story of how this company was founded and the mattresses they make by visiting recovermattress.com. There's no E after the V. And if you do decide to buy a mattress, you can enjoy a 50% discount by using the code WOP50, short for Working on Purpose, 50% off. Last week, if you missed the show live, you can always catch a recorded podcast. We were on the air with Roland Hartle, who is a lifelong entrepreneur still going strong at 82 with his newest invention, the Interlude Travel folding chair. Roland is also my first beloved boss who fired me at age 19 and actually completely saved my life in doing so. We talked about that story and his approach to playing in life, which the rest of us call work. With us this week is Debbie Marizic. She is the president of The Sales Company, a Texas-based firm that is helping hundreds of entrepreneurs, individuals, and corporations better assess, understand, and engage in practical, purposeful selling. We'll be talking about the ideology and common fears associated with sales, and how we can get past those, strategies for effective and purposeful selling, and how we can socialize and get help selling. Debbie joins us today from Plano, Texas. Debbie, welcome to Working on Purpose. Hi, nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Isn't it fun? It is. And and I don't know who the gentleman was last week, but I'm going to have to go back and listen to that. Oh, absolutely. He's a <laughs> wonderful human being. He really is inspirational. And we can learn a lot from him. He was, And we did the interview actually in his home office there in Portland, Oregon, because I was oh, visiting him. So it was heavens. even more magical. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes. Okay. Well, let's talk about something that people find really scary. <laughs> sales, right? So yes. you're a pro in this field and you help others succeed in it. So first, let's just kind of ground this, this, this conversation. Why are we so afraid of sales? I believe that most people are most afraid of sales because of the fear of rejection. Um, you know, that what's unknown or it's asking for money you know, it's usually one of those three things. You know, they're they're they just don't know the person they're going to talk to. Said that unknown about that person, like, oh, you know, will they like me? And then, you know, the fear of rejection. You know, where they do get the conversation and do it, and the person said, nah, I don't want that. 
or, you know, they're asking for money. They've never uh, looked at their ideas, their thoughts behind money. And so they're selling something that perhaps in their world is considered expensive. You know, like if they're used to spending $50 on something, they're selling something that's $5,000. You know, they think that's very, wow. So who would spend that kind of money? And so they're afraid to ask because of the money. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. It's fascinating to me how we walk through life with our own limiting mindsets, right? Yes. That we oftentimes aren't even aware of. And they are talking to us the whole time and we're buying all of it inside our inside our heads, but we have no idea how it's limiting our performance and, and how we experience life. It's amazing. Absolutely. Well, if we turn this over just on the other side of that conversation, we talked about sales being scary. Someone that I really respect and admire and who was quite successful as a business owner and, frankly, as a salesperson as well is Nathan Rosenberg of Insignium, where I spent the last couple of years working. He totally changed the way that I see sales for the better. He said, the impact you have in the world is contingent on how good you are in sales. And I do want to make a difference in the world. And thanks to him, I see my sales outreach and performance as a vehicle to get to do the work that I want to do on the planet. What's your philosophy about sales? Well, first of all, let me tell you, I, I love what he shared with you. And it is that you were able to hear him and to go on with what you do. You know, I think this is one of the things about sales that um, we all come to it different ways. And so my philosophy has always been really nothing happens until you sell something. Mm. That goes back to the impact that he's talking about for sure. Yes, yeah. exactly. And, you know, so whatever you have to do to get to that point to sell something, what what it is for you will not be what it is for the next person or the next person. In my practice, I talk about meeting people where they are at. I believe sales is, you know, each of us doing it the way it works for us. We can be at the same company selling the same thing, but how you sell and how I sell could be completely different and both of us can be extraordinary in our success. And one of the filters that I have used in my consulting practice for the last 20 years is when somebody calls me and says they have, you know, a superstar, Mary on their team and they want everybody to be like her. I will never take that engagement, never, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I believe so strongly in this that we are all capable of selling, and it is, though, why many people fail is because they've not been allowed to sell in the way in which they sell best. Mm. That's, of course, music to my ears. Debbie, as you probably can guess, uh, I do. I'm very much a person who, when we look at how we work with leaders to reward people, is they we ask them to look at them as unique individuals to see who they are, what do they bring, and what do they uniquely want from work, and certainly their salesmanship. So I certainly agree with what you're saying, and it would be really delightful maybe if you could could you maybe give us a couple of examples of you know different kinds of ways people sell and that are that still work. Absolutely. And so, you know, for myself, believe it or not, you are not experiencing me perhaps as an introvert today, but that is really my preferred. You know, I love to be at home on the couch with a good book, my sweetie, my beagle and a book and a glass of wine. And um, but in going out to sell and being an introvert, if I really would have listened to others, I would have never done it. 
But the truth was, I didn't understand it young, but I was very good at asking questions so I didn't have to talk. And in sales, this ended up being brilliant in that not many salespeople really listen, much less plan their questions in advance, ask them in an open-ended way to elicit what the customer is really trying to do or trying to accomplish, and then responding to that. So, you know, for me, you know, I, I use this, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Susan Cain's book, Quiet. It's one of the most brilliant books for introverts. But I think introverts are some of the greatest salespeople because they do know how to listen and genuinely listen, not listen just to get ready to talk next, but really listen to what the person is. And then the other one is when uh, somebody is not the most experienced, you know, like they don't have a lot of experience in sales or a particular product, and they really, you know, you tell them, you know, what to do, give them direction, and they go out there, and because they don't know what, you know, other salespeople do, they just do what you say, and then lo and behold, they get the deal. And they're not the most experienced, but they take direction well. So they understand, you know, they're willing to accept the process of sales, the questions you ask on the first visit, the second visit, third visit, they just do that, and they go and do it, and it's like, it happens. Mm. You have got to be so encouraging to some of our listeners out there right now. And and by the way, Debbie, we do enjoy a global listenership. There are people literally all over the globe who listen to the show. And I'm sure that they're all at various stages of their sales career. Or if they're not in pure sales, like, like me, of course, I sell my work too. Either I have a hybrid role. I want to say two things about what you said there. One is, I you're the first person I've talked with who actually says the same thing that I say, which is introverts are, are really great listeners and and I actually think they are great conversationalists. Yes. Because because they're such great listeners. I mean they're they're they know how to really listen and make sure the other person is heard. They presence that beautifully and they're incredibly effective communicators. And so when I share that with audiences, a lot of times they just probably like your message lands as oh my gosh, thank goodness. I always feel like I have to make up for something because I'm not uh, an extrovert. Exactly. So, thank you for saying that. That's beautiful. Any comment on that before I go into my next point? Yes, because you know, one of the things with sales I believe is so key is being authentic to who you are. Mm-hmm. And the reason a lot of people fail is because say they are an introvert, but they've watched somebody perhaps that they admire or they have seen be successful. Maybe that is a great, you know, incredible extrovert. And so they're trying to be them. Well, you know, they don't understand. And even I believe the customer doesn't always understand why they don't buy, but it is that that person not being who they are, the customer feels like, well, there's something off, even if they can't articulate or put their finger on it. And it is that they're not being themselves. So when introverts, and I had to learn this, you know, I started my career doing outside sales in Houston, Texas, in the seismic industry when there had yet to be women in that business. And so I was always trying to be, you know, one of the guys, not only in how I dress, but, you know, um, you know, and trying to fit in and all, and it just wasn't. And the day somebody took me aside and said, Debbie, you know, the sooner you be you, the better this is probably going to work out. <laughs> and, oh, reassuring. Lo- and, and it was incredible. 
I mean, it really did. And I felt so much comfortable, more comfortable at ease with talking to people and do because I really had, I'd been watching these other people and thinking, okay, I need to say it like that, or I need to work that into the conversation, or I need to be able to do that, you know, and it was like, none of those things were me. Mm-hmm. Well, and that brings me to the second point that I wanted to present from what you said earlier, and that is that people that maybe don't have a lot of experience with sales, but yet are very coachable. That is such a great, yes. great ability, great talent to be coachable in life. So I just really wanted to call that. And you were certainly coachable in, in how you received that that feedback. Absolutely. One of the things I say about sales today, and I, I have learned, and um, is that the day that I figured out sales wasn't this stereotype, you know, the selling and making somebody do it, but that it was a conversation. Yes. That if I was prepared in my questions, you know, like when I go in for the first visit, what are the questions I need to have answered to even know that there's a second visit? Well, if I, for me as an introvert, preparing those questions with open-ended questions, who, what, where, why, when, how, and allowing the other person to talk You know, that was powerful for me. And so to this day, if you're capable of having that conversation you need to have on the first call, on the second call, on the third call, then what happens generally is that then as you go through that, you've done the proposal, you're doing this questioning, this conversational style, then it gets to, are you ready to get started? Or, okay, I want that. What do I need to do? Mm-hmm. It's not this grotesque, you know, rawr, you know, I'm attacking you, I'm making you do something. It's a conversation. I love that, Debbie. And that's another thing that Nathan Rosenberg says too. And I hope that that gives our listeners a little bit more access to to the field as well. The reason I wanted to start with ideology of selling was to open a space for people to see sales a little bit differently. So you're doing this beautifully. I can guarantee Thank that, you. A, <laughs> right, I, that a vast number of people out there haven't thought about sales as a conversation. That's so much more accessible. And one of the things you mentioned for your particular audience in that you have a global audience, I too have worked with people globally. And you know what I find sometimes is people think that, you know, okay, we we do this in the United States, but we must do this in France or we must do this in Japan. Yes, we definitely have cultural etiquette differences in that way, but in selling across, you know, all continents, what I have found is this being able to carry a conversation be intentional, be prepared with it, has allowed me to work, you know, with people all over the world. And how delightful is that? I love working with people across the globe. It's me so, too. so fulfilling and enriching. Um, well, before we go on break, I want to ask one other question here, and that gets to a, an interesting blog post that I saw on your website about the role of confidence in sales. Yes. It seems pretty important to me, pretty basic to me, but mm-hmm. how do we develop confidence to fuel our sales work if we don't really feel it? Where do we start? Okay, so don't laugh here, but <laughs> okay. what I tell now people some. is, you know, um, we, you and I may not think of ourselves as actors. We're not thespians, you know, we didn't do that in high school or college or in adult life. But when we are really lacking that confidence, I believe sometimes we have to act our way. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. Act our way into it. So first of all, we have to continue to be in action. Confidence is not going to grow by us not taking action and hiding in the office or, you know, behind our phone. You know, it's going to Confidence is built through 
interacting. But I believe that, you know, like I love Elizabeth Taylor and and who doesn't know that she's a drama queen. Mm -hmm. But I believe that if you would take on the sales role as an actor, because you don't feel like you can do it yet. So imagine yourself as an actor delivering what whatever communication you need to be having, you know, with your customer. Like you've got all the confidence in the world, you can do this. What happens is is when sometimes you take on that in your head like okay, I'm going to act my way into it. I'm going to be confident, you know, actors are confident in what they do and deliver it. Well, two things happen. One, you get through it and Uh, It's like, oh, my gosh, I did it. And in doing it, you are going to feel more confident. And two, in doing that, it almost it gives you a relief because it's like somebody else doing it and not you. So it takes away some of the stress. But at the end of the day, when you've done it and you've delivered it, it's like, oh, my gosh, I did it. Well, then you can do the intellectual part of that with yourself. Like that was not Elizabeth Taylor. That was me. Oh, my gosh. I did this. So if I did it once, I can do it again and, you know, rinse and repeat and edit as you go along and you will get better and better. I mean, I tell the story on myself now, Elise, where uh, if you had ever told me that building relationships with people and stretching myself in the way that I did, you know, as an introvert, very uncomfortably, that now that because I had done that and made people feel comfortable, now people just call me and say, okay, girl, let's get started. And we haven't even done a sales call. Wow. I would have never dreamed that that would be possible. But it's possible today because I have the confidence in that. I want to say two things to that just to bring that point home to our listeners because there's a couple ways we can build on that, I think, really quick, and then we'll go on a quick break. I had two guests on my my radio show that speak to this, and they both sort of say something similar but from different angles. They say, just do the next right thing. Oh, Right. So if you just get yourself into a space where you can just get yourself to do the next right thing. So one of the people that said that is Jeff Hayden, who wrote The Motivation Myth. He talks about that because when you take the next move, when you do the next right thing, it gives you a dopamine hit. It gives you a feeling that you've just what you said. Yes. Right. It's given you that that feeling of accomplishment, which is what fuels your next step. And then the other person that talks about this is Sean Anderson, who I've had on the show a couple of times. He's my coach. And he is the extra mile guy, go the extra mile guy. Mm-hmm. And he says the exact same thing. So just wanted to bring that home for our listeners because I think it's so, so critical what you're talking about here. And if listeners get nothing else out of the show, they take that point that you gave. That's beautiful. Thank you. And with that, Debbie, let's take our first break. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Debbie Marizic. She is the president of The Sales Company, a Texas-based firm that is helping hundreds of entrepreneurs, individuals, and corporations better assess, understand, and engage in practical, purposeful selling. She joins us today from Plano, Texas. We've been talking a bit about the ideology and philosophy of selling. After the break, we're going to get into the strategy for selling. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. 
To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Debbie Morizic, the president of The Sales Company, a Texas-based firm that is helping hundreds of entrepreneurs, individuals, and corporations better assess, understand, and engage in practical, purposeful selling. She is a high-energy, get-it-done-sooner-than-later, kick-butt-and-take-name sales coach, consultant, trainer, speaker, and author. We've been talking a bit about the philosophy or ideology of selling. Now we want to get into strategy. So... Before we get into that, there's always this this notion, right, Debbie? I know you've seen it a million and a half times of, you know, I don't really have a strategy, so there's always the live in hope, die in despair approach to selling, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is the afterthought way of going about it. So your perspective on that? I believe, unfortunately, that for so many that, you know, they're excited about what they're doing, they're selling, they're offering, but the sales is an afterthought. You know, they, you know, it's just like, it's just magically going to show up. And so you're living hope, die in despair. Uh, boy, that pretty much sums it up. And I find that, you know, just helping people bring sales to top of mind, you know, maybe it's not the very top to begin with versus an afterthought, but moving it up their, their ladder, if you will, helps them a great deal in that having a consciousness about what they really want and what they're trying to accomplish and what can they, not, not what can they do for the customer, because I assume they have the service, the product, that, but, you know, how are they going to get to them and get it done? You know, to have a plan in advance, Mm-hmm. What a concept. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> and it takes time, right? And so you talk it a does. lot about- It does. And it's not always right the first time. You know, this is one of those that, you know, you, you adjust as you, you know, start where you start and adjust as you go along. Well, you talk about having a sales roadmap. So yes. what kinds of things are, are important here? What do you mean by, why is that important? What kinds of things go into that roadmap? Very good. So I actually wrote a book for this specific purpose. I believe you're, if you were, say you and I had a surgery scheduled today, you know, we had to have our appendix out. Well, don't we suspect that the doctor really has, you know, a plan, a process, a map for how this is going to go? Like we don't do anesthesia after we start cutting, you know, we know that we're doing that first, then we're cutting, then we're removing, then we're, you know, you, you know what I mean. So I think about a sales roadmap being that plan for this journey. You know, what are we going to do first? What are we going to do second? And what I believe is the map, you know, like think about the old fashioned map that you unfold 30 different ways and you have it there. And I believe that map begins, it's your sales forecast and that drives everything you do. It drives your time, your 168 hours a week. What are you going to do with it? It drives who you're going to see, who you're going to focus on, where you're going to spend the most attention, who's bringing in the most dollars, who is great for the future, the future in three months, six months, nine months, 12 months. 
And I believe this sales roadmap has absolutely been the key to my success. And I learned this from a gentleman that I worked with. We came out of Texas Instruments, which I think most people know is an engineering firm, and uh, but you still have to do sales. And so everything was documented in black and white. And what I learned young was in documenting that, in tracking it every day, every day, not once a year, the week between Christmas and New Year's, and working it like it was a live document, managing your time and all your activities around it, it is amazing how successful you can be at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Sounds fantastic to me. Now, two things about that I want to follow up, and if I can, please, Debbie. So the first one is, like people like me who have a hybrid role, I'm not 100% sales. I sell and then I deliver and there's all other kinds of things that happen here Mm -hmm. and there. So I do have to be very mindful about how I carve out time in my calendar and actually schedule time for sales conversations. Can you speak a little bit to how you can help those people get get more, better, better results or how yes. do you want to help them? Because my role is exactly like yours. I own my company, but it is just mine. And so I too am doing the deliverable as well as doing the sales. And because we have that, it is critical, I believe, for everybody to learn sales. But for people who have that hybrid role, it is even more critical for you to manage your time and your um, efforts your prospects and your customers in what you're doing. So for example, if you, and I'm talking every single day, I really am. So you have your sales forecast prepared. You've got your suspects, your prospects, your hard leads, your proposals, your customers. If every single morning you just started your day with five minutes looking at your customers, is everybody taken care of? Is there anything I need to do? Is there anything coming up? You know, they are your prize. They are your best, best, best. So they are the ones you want to focus on first and foremost every single day. So if they are completely taken care of, there is nothing for you to deliver, nothing for you to do, nothing else for you to sell them today, then your proposals. Where are you with your proposals? Is there follow-up that needs to be done? Is there research that needs to be done? Where are you with that? And do you have enough proposals in your pipeline, not only for this month, but next quarter, next quarter, next quarter? Because I believe a roadmap is 12 months going forward, not here we sit in July and so we're looking back six months and we're only looking ahead five months. No, I believe we're always in a 12-month forward uh, momentum with our roadmap. And so you're looking at that. And once you have made sure that your customers are taken care of every day and your proposals are where they need to be at this moment, then focus your attention. What is one thing I can do today in my suspect category? How can I take that suspect from being a prospect to being a prospect? And if it's a prospect, how can I take that prospect from being a prospect to being a hard lead and finding a specific opportunity there? And then your hard leads, how can I take that to a proposal? This is a discipline. And once you start doing it every day, this flows and it really doesn't take more than 10 minutes. And it is powerful powerful for your success and specifically if you share that hybrid role like you and I do. That was fantastic. Um, The other question I was going to ask you, and you already mentioned something about Texas Instruments, and I think even the way you just laid out what you just did there is an example, but I wanted to see if we could share some real-world examples of sales roadmaps that you've seen that are particularly useful beyond what you've already shared. 
Um, well, that what what I would share is that particular roadmap where when I was young, I thought that was only because it was an engineering company and they were very technical and process oriented. What I know now after 22 years of consulting, and, and that's why I wrote a book about this, is that that process works no matter the industry. Mm. So whether you are doing sales in the food manufacturing arena, uh, I, I've worked with Los Alamos, believe it or not, they have sales things they have to do. Uh, you're working with an individual who is offering um, marketing consulting, a one-person company. This roadmap works for all of them. Mm, that is fantastic. It's got to be so comforting to people who are listening to this. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Well, and that does sort of bring me to the next thing I wanted to talk with you about, and and that, and maybe maybe it's connected, maybe it isn't, but to me it seems like it is. You've got another blog post uh, on your website on focus. Mm-hmm. So it seems to me that while we're talking about strategy, that focus is pretty important in sales too. So tell us a bit more about your perspective and what you know about focus. Yes. So I believe the focus, you know, uh, what is it that you say? Focus. Follow follow one course until successful. Well, you know, a lot of people have done that to their detriment, you know, and they kept doing it the same way forever. You know, I believe that if you're really focusing on what you're doing and looking at it, like I was saying with the roadmap every day so that you have that discipline in doing that and the the focus of doing that every day, nothing gets too far askew if you're looking at it every day. The other thing about focus is if what I'm doing, I'm focused on doing that one thing. So today I have a proposal that I'm doing for a lease. If I have that set, you know, like I'm going to do this from 9.30 to 10.30, 11 this morning, and I focus on that one thing, I give it all my attention because I really want that opportunity, I believe I have a lot more likelihood of succeeding in that because I've done a great proposal, I am prepared, I focused on that one thing, and then moving to the next. I think a lot of people struggle with the multitasking, or I call it task switching, you know, we're not really multitasking, we're going from this to that to the other. But if we focus in, in a... Uh, you know, 30,000 foot view on our roadmap on what we're doing. We have that laid out. We can see it clearly in black and white. And then we come back and we focus individually on the activities that we're doing, whether it be a proposal or I have a meeting with Elise today. When I go to that meeting with Elise, I do not have my cell phone out. I have not got my computer out. I am not thinking about anything but her when I am sitting at that meeting. And that focus allows me, I spend a lot less time because because I'm intentional and focused while I'm there as I was when I was doing her proposal. So the likelihood of me getting that opportunity, closing it more quickly is a lot more likely. And if I look at it, when I finish the year, go back and look at my roadmap and how everything flowed all year, what I find is, is when I learn to focus, then maybe instead of having to make five sales calls to close an opportunity, I'm now doing it in three. And if I'm now doing it in three, how much more business am I doing this year? Hmm. 
what I really loved about what you said there, Debbie, is this notion that if you're if you're if you're looking at this every single day, it can't get too far away from you. Among yes. other things, I really think that's just splendid because I think what happens, and I, I'm so guilty of this myself, Debbie, is I get busy and then I start feeling bad because I haven't been doing enough sales outreach, and then I then I start to guilt myself and then I start to avoid it, and before I know it, it's been a few days and I haven't done anything on sales, <laughs> and it's out of I- hand. Well, let me tell you, can I just give you one little tip in that regard that I tell people all the time? You know, if you are finishing your day today, and I mean, you've had a rock star kind of day, you know, you were out there, you were doing it, you were great. But if you get to the end of the day, and you know, you're you're actually closing your computer, you're, you're going to dinner, going to bed, you know, whatever it is, if you have not done one thing today to reach out to somebody, whether it was to send an email to introduce yourself or to make a phone call to follow up on something, something that would move your sales needle to the right before you close down, make one phone call, send one email. And my point on that is, as silly as it might sound, if you've done nothing else, then by the end of the week, you would have made five outreach attempts on something and 20 for the month. There is no way you're going to get to the end of the month having made 20 outreach attempts and something will not happen, even if you were busy and tied up with all these other things. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's absolutely beautiful. Thank you, Debbie. And that is... When we're committed to, especially when we we situate this as an opportunity to have an impact in the world that we want, and we're committed to that, it's pretty easy to say, look, I think I can handle one email or one phone call before I fall into bed. So that's beautiful. Thank you. Yes. And one other thing on that, and I I tell this on myself, about 10 years into my consulting practice, I love my clients. I think they're stellar. But it occurred to me one day that if they were unhappy, I am not absolutely certain they would tell me. So I hired a firm to contact my clients, like to do surveys and testimonials, somebody that could really carry on a conversation, not the guy that calls you at dinner with an annoying survey. (laughs) The person called me back and before they began, they said, Debbie, can I tell you one thing that every single one of them said, and I've never heard you say? I thought, oh, Lord. Well, what it was, every single one of them said, the fact that we work together each week, the most powerful thing I did for them was hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. The focus. Mm-hmm. Every week, they did not want to come to the call at 10 o'clock on Tuesday and have not done what they committed. Because, you know, I'm not their business partner, their banker, their, nothing. You know, I'm not emotionally attached to them. So to come and have not focused and done the thing to be held accountable for, they didn't want to do that. And yet in being that focused and accountable, that's what moved it forward, their sales forward for them. Accountability is a beautiful thing. And especially, especially when obviously the people have respect for you and they don't want to let you down, therefore Mm -hmm. letting themselves down. So I appreciate that. Um, one other thing, we have just a quick little couple minutes to treat this before we go on our next break here is um, you do talk about the importance of having enough sales time on the calendar. You've been talking a little bit about this, but I think it's so important to presence this for our, lesson- our listeners about sales time on the calendar. Can you say more about that? Yes. 
And so, you know, looking at what you're needing, you know, if you have laid out your roadmap, you know what the sales dollars are for you that you need to do this year. You know uh, the data behind what you've done before. It took you three sales calls, 20 sales calls, you know, whatever it was and all. Then when you're laying out your year and you're looking, and I'm really talking about your year here, 365 days, then each week, When you look back at your past 365 days and how much time you spent selling, you know, what was that? Was it five hours a week? Was it 20 hours a week? Are you full time? Is your only thing sales 40 hours a week? And so I believe that people should, this should be on your calendar. Like if I had an appointment with you at 5 p.m., I will be at that appointment and on time. I would not miss it. And I believe scheduling sales time for yourself, whether it's to make your calls or to write your proposals or whatever it is, and have that on your calendar, like it is an appointment you would not break with your best client. I think that is critical. Whereas what most people do is like, oh, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I've got five minutes here. I've got 10 minutes there. And better five or 10 minutes than nothing But I believe really planning your time that it is specific and includes sales time on your calendar is critical to your sales success. I completely agree with that. I do practice that. And most of the time I honor it. However, I do understand the importance of it. (laughs) Well, but even if you don't, if you're doing it 48 weeks of the year and not 52, let me tell you, I'd be giving you platinum stars. I will take them, Miss Debbie. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and with that, let's go into our, our last break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Debbie Morizic. She is the president of The Sales Company, a Texas-based firm that is helping hundreds of entrepreneurs, individuals, and corporations better assess, understand, and engage in practical, purposeful selling. She joins us today from Plano, Texas. We've been talking a bit about the strategy for selling. In the last segment, we're going to talk about socializing and getting help with the sales that we need. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now... Back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Debbie Morizic, the president of The Sales Company, a Texas-based firm that is helping hundreds of entrepreneurs, individuals, and corporations better assess, understand, and engage in practical, purposeful selling. She is a high-energy, get-it-done-sooner-than-later, kick-butt, and take-name sales coach, consultant, trainer, speaker, and author. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So for this last final segment here, I think it will be uh, fun to finish with the idea of how we can socialize and get help with sales, along with, of course, celebrating. Um, Sounds pretty good to me. So the idea of sales being a a social and collaborative process, we all know that we can use help selling sometimes, whether we're single entrepreneurs, we're leaders in a sales team or in a large organization, we all need some help. So talk with us, Debbie, about how you help people across different camps tap others for for help in selling. 
You bet. So I believe in something that is called the rule of 250. You know, everybody's heard about the Kevin Bacon six degrees of separation. You know, think about the rule of 250 really being that process. So each and every one of us and you and I on this call, and I'm sure many of your listeners here know many more than 250 people. But basically what this is, you could do this with a pencil and paper. Who are your family? You know, who are they? You go home. My favorite story I tell is a client that I'd had for four years. And I promise you, Elise, if you met this man in a professional situation, you would have been very impressed. His expertise, how he carried himself, his brilliance. But every year at the holidays, when this man talked about going home to his family, you would think he was raised by wolves. He could not be this wonderful and be raised by wolves. So one year, four years in, I was just exasperated. Like many people in Dallas, we're from somewhere else. So we're going away. We're only seeing these people once a year. And I said to him, you know, I see you in our community doing wonderful things. I see you at a chamber event. You have no problem talking to strangers about what they do, what you do and all. So why don't, when you go home to your family, you act like you don't know them and treat them like you do these strangers. Well, he said, says to Marie, Marizic, you make me nuts. And I said, well, you make me nuts because I can't believe your family could be this bad. I'm sure they do something the other 364 days of the year. Fast forward Monday morning, I have a voicemail. The voice on there is screaming. I don't mean talking loud, screaming. And for a moment, I didn't know who it was. But the voice said, Marizic, I hate your guts. Call me. Well, I realized <laughs> oh, it's my client, yes. And so he's been my client for four years. Obviously, with this voicemail, I'm assuming he is not going to be my client past today. So I'm honoring enough that I do call him and go, what? He doesn't say, hello, how are you? He said, Debbie, who is the number one company I have been trying to get into for four years? I said, General Electric. And he said, guess who my uncle is? I said, I have no clue. His <laughs> uncle was the president of a division of... General Electric. I could not hardly contain myself when I asked him, and how long has he been your uncle? 45 years. I <laughs> howled. My point in this in the rule of 250 is all of us know people. And in this day and time, it is totally acceptable to be collaborative in our sales and what we're doing. So when we know people, we assume we know 250, they know 250, that one knows 250. You don't know who they know. So if you are doing a great job in your sales and you have identified who it is that you want to do business with, it may just be a company name. I'm not even talking about an individual human name, but a company name. And you ask your 250, does anybody know anybody at XYZ company? Somebody is going to know them. And guess what? They are delighted to introduce you. Hmm. I know so that just sounds much, so basic, but so important. I, I know, but it is the deal that when you do that, and this is the same for somebody finding a job. You know, you know, I'm not going to go research all night who you need to go to work for. But if you do that research, tell me who you want, and I know them, I will introduce you. I expect you to be excellent enough to close the deal yourself. But I will be your advocate. I will introduce you. Well, this is what I have learned, this rule of 250 for myself now, where people bring me business. And when I want something and I don't know them, I feel very comfortable now going out to my 250, which is probably more like 10,000, and saying, hey, who knows who? And mm -hmm. they tell me. So how much shorter is my sales cycle in engaging others in my success 
This is a powerful tool for all of us. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, even myself, sometimes I forget. Well, what I love about it is the simplicity of what we've been talking about is sales is a conversation and a relationship. It's just that simple. Yeah. So wait, what a way to, to take us take us in here. So now on the other side of that now, I, we have to talk about this because we know what this is this is in existence for a lot of people too. This whole notion that at some point most of us will likely find ourselves in some kind of a slump in sales over time. The peaks and valleys yes. that happen, right? Yes. So when you work with people, Debbie, how do you recommend we lean on others to help us through the slump period or what can we do to get out of that slump period? I believe the number one thing to do if you're in a slump is tell someone ah, yeah. the truth. No, the truth. Mm-hmm. Not just I'm in a slump, but Elise, can I talk to you? Can I have a cup of coffee? Elise, I am really struggling. It has been a tough six months. I have 14 proposals in the pipeline. I haven't been able to close. I'm not going to be able to make my mortgage, my rent, you know, my kids are going to, you know, whatever the truth is for you. When you speak it and let it go versus holding it in, keeping it in, something changes in that speaking it, even if the other person cannot do anything about it, but they have heard you. Mm. It changes. It just starts to set you free, doesn't it? It does. And also, oftentimes, you know, when we speak it versus what we've been just telling ourselves over and over in our head, when we speak it and say it out loud, sometimes it's not as bad as what we've been telling ourselves. And somebody else hears it and says, boy, howdy, I hear you, but have you thought about this? Mm -hmm. And that one thing is just like, oh, my heavens, I haven't thought about that. You're an intelligent human being. But when they say it, you're going, I can't believe I haven't thought about that. Mm-hmm. So I think the very best thing, and I tell people this all the time, when it's a tough road to hoe or something, call somebody, have a cup of coffee, tell the truth to one person. Oh, Debbie, that's brilliant. It's just music to my ears as well. I'm right there with you. Okay, we're coming close to the edge of the show, and I have two more questions I want to get out of you before we you dash. Bet. So the next thing is you talk about the importance of celebrating sales success. Say more about that. Why is celebration important and what does it look like? Okay. So oftentimes I think we, you know, a sale for some people can take a day, a week, you know, three years, it doesn't matter. You know, it's all different, but we work so hard and getting the sell and doing it and like, okay, it's done next. No. What if we take a moment and really, I mean, really like, woohoo, celebrate it talk about it. What is it really? How did it happen? What really? Ha- what did you really do to make this happen? Celebrate. Even if you're a one-person business like me, you know, obviously, you know, not everybody wants to hear it, but I, I have a group of colleagues and friends that I can call and say, oh my gosh, you know, I worked on this. It took me a year and I did it, you know, and celebrate and really understand what you did so you can duplicate it instead of just moving on to the next one. Like, okay, great. That happened next. Mm. Oh, own it, feel it, luxurate in it, love it, tell people, and do it again. Mm, Debbie, that's gorgeous. Okay. All right. Last question here. You, I like to give my, my guests the, the last word, if you will. And you know this show airs globally, and people listen to it 
to be able to better meaningfully and productively connect with their work in a more purposeful way. And and leaders listen to it to be able to find ways to inculcate purpose and meaning into their teams. Knowing all that as a backdrop, what would you like to leave our listeners with today? I would like to leave them what I always leave my clients or my audience with is no matter where you are, where you are, you know, because generally what we focus on is where we aren't at, you know, I haven't done or this or that. But what I tell people is to remember, you do not have to be great to get started. It doesn't matter what you don't have, whether it's money or talent or skills or resources, you don't have to be great to get started. But you do have to get started to be great. You have to do something. So you don't have to be great to get started. Don't worry about that. You've got this concept. You've got this idea. You've got this goal. But you do have to get started. Do something. Take one action. One. And when you do that one and something happens, then you'll do it again. So you don't have to be great to get started, but you do have to, <laughs> you do have to start to be great. That's a fantastic way to close, Debbie. Thank you. This has been such an inspiring, encouraging, uplifting, energizing conversation. Thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you so much for having me and my best to you and your audience. I love my audience. I love <laughs> that they interact and engage and let me know what they get out of the show. So so for you, uh, I want to make sure they know how to find you. So if, if you want to learn more about Debbie or the brand new membership program, great salespeople she's working on to help you excel at sales, visit her website. It's the-sales-company.com. Again, the-sales-company.com. Next week, we'll be on the air with author, speaker, consultant, Zach Mercurio, talking about his latest book, The Invisible Leader, Transform Your Life, Work, and Organization with the Power of Authentic Purpose. Can't wait to talk to him. I've read his book, and I want to share him with you. So see you then. Remember that work is at least one-third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. <laughs>